Welcome to the Raindrop Corner Podcast, a chill place where creatives and real-life superheroes converge to chat it up about cool things, and I'm your host, Kay, and I want to thank everybody for just the outpouring of love that I've gotten as of late and all of the immense support that all of you have given for this podcast. Thank you so much. And without further ado, here's an ode to our guest. Oblivion was both welcomed and obliterated, distilled down into seedlings that satiated. They blossomed and bloomed into magnificence consecrated. Still, there may have been a little girl who debated, etching magic in the mind, quick in stride to leave the boo hag behind, while tales of haunts and beings most divine culminated in tangled webs of her own shrine. It was in these places that imagination was refined. Drips of honey mingling with figure and form. Behold, the girl arisen from concentrated storm, plucked from the subtle additives of a norm, synthesized with black beauty turned woman, transformed. It was as if grief created a taunting windstorm, not knowing that the wreathing would evoke the greatest art form. Easing into act two, she saw she slew, sipped up the incantations of her very own brew, barreling through, and just then, the words flew, little echoes of white and vivid sights, a bard coloring stories of might, humans and things engaged in a gripping plight. This queen's future is so bright, almost a fright, no a joyful delight, picking up tattered pages, receiving hymns from anointed sages. She's living in the dark ages, but she runs with formidable mages. If all the world is a stage, then give it up for the greatest and grandest of rampages. You see shining before the fold is feminine black glistening with gold. She did much more than what she was told, but who can become a goddess without being bold? Her ballad was written in the stars, a preordained crescendo stretching near and far, backed by embraces and whispered words most bizarre. Words of a father, family member, and friend the willing co-stars, cradled by ancestors. She stepped through a door, left ajar. So today with us, we have Miss Karen Strong, author of Just South of Home. You also have short stories published in Star Wars from a certain point of view. And honestly, you had my heart already because it's Star Wars. (laughs) And then... Also in a book called A Phoenix Must First Burn. I'm really excited to have you here. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Of course. It's a pleasure to have you. And I wanted to start a little bit different this week. Just because it's there's a lot of heavy things going on in the world. So instead of jumping right into it, I just wanted to take like 60 seconds to two minutes to ask you what was your favorite thing that happened today? Oh, my favorite thing that happened today. It was very something very simple, actually. Um, I have a dog. Her mm-hmm. name is Shakira. She's a Shih Tzu. Oh, I like that. And my neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's named, after the, she's named after the singer. And she saw a red ladder. Mm-hmm. She had never seen it before. She 
interesting dogs I adore them I've never owned one but I always love everybody else's they are a so as I was reading your novel specifically just south of home one of the things that stuck out is the way you very masterfully talk about topics that could sometimes be uncomfortable whether it's race, whether it's strife um, from an ancestral standpoint, and just the inner workings of the Black community and how we communicate with one another. As an author, what is your journey in terms of creating a story? Um, that is, that's actually a very good question. For me, I grew up in a family of story storytellers, mm -hmm. so storytelling is sort of in my blood. And so when I think of storytelling, um, I'm a self-taught novelist, so I really just wanted to pay homage to what I used to hear growing up, you know, mm -hmm. stories about hate and just the Southern, you know, rural Southern upbringing that I used to have, that I had when I was growing up. So for me, it was more of an organic kind of situation where I became a novelist because I love, I love stories. Mm -hmm. And so um, that was one of the things I wanted to learn how to do. As, as I came to um, novels and publishing kind of late in the game mm -hmm. because my background is actually in tech. And so my love of books sort of naturally got me to where I am today. That's really cool. And I feel like almost every writer loved reading and they love stories to some yeah. degree. And that's kind of always stuck with them. And I did see that you were deeply ingrained in tech. So... I don't want to say become a writer. I feel like it's in you. Um, yeah. What helped you navigate towards that path of wanting to professionally pursue writing? I think for me, I wanted, I knew that I had some stories I wanted to tell, and I knew I wanted to be traditionally published because I felt that was probably the best way to get my story out to the most people, mm -hmm. especially writing for kids. Uh, you know, there's a lot of gatekeeping and young adult and middle grade fiction because of the schools and libraries. Um, I think it's much easier and maybe more practical to go the self-publishing route when people are writing for adults because there's no like gatekeeping in between. That's very um, true. So I knew that, yeah, so I knew that if I wanted to write for, for kids and teens that I would have to probably do the traditional route. And mm -hmm. so, as you know, breaking into publishing is very hard. And so I knew that I had a lot to learn. And I definitely, just from what I've seen, I've more so done a lot of freelance editing and consulting, but just from what little I do know, you probably know much more than I do, but it, it is very hard, especially when you are writing middle grade fiction or if you're writing young adult fiction. Now, I do want to revert to something that I saw. So you okay. call you call middle grade fiction your first love as a writer. So you're going to have to tell me a little bit about that. When you say it's your first love, what made you gravitate towards wanting to write middle grade fiction? Nine to 12 years old. I think my favorite age is nine years old. Mm -hmm. I think when you're nine, life is just great. At least I, I had a really great childhood growing up. And I love middle grade because it's the first time that kids are actually seeing themselves separate from their families. Mm -hmm. It's a it's a start of a lot of firsts for, for kids, and they're trying to figure out who they are. And also, for books, you know, when kids read books during that age, 
lifetime. I mean, you can, if you do think about the kind of folks that you were breeding when you were that age, they stick with you. And so they make an impression. And especially for black kids, I, I really wanted to write in this age category because I really want to build up readers mm-hmm. because that's how I became a avid reader because of the things I, that I read during that age. I, a conversation, I actually had this conversation with a previous guest, his name is Tango, and we talked a little bit about the importance of seeing yourselves, yourself in books, and I feel like that's especially important when you're young. I remember growing up and being excited the first time I saw Pocahontas, or the first time I saw... Um, Bend It Like Beckham, or the first time I discovered Octavia Butler, and what that filled me with and made me feel like, because growing up, when you get your summer reading list, what's normally on it? You get books that might be very good books. To Kill a Mockingbird is great. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Catcher in the Rye is a classic, but I didn't discover books like Song of Solomon until I was much older. And I just think what you do is so important and it's nice to feel seen. So on that note, I wanted to ask you, um, paint me a picture of experiences that you had when you were that age, when you were eight or nine, that significantly impacted your journey in terms of who you are now. And it's felt. As I was reading it, there sometimes when you read a book, you can almost you you can't hear what the author's thinking, obviously. But you get like small little tendrils, small little glimpses into the author's life and their shoes. And I think that's really what I appreciated so much about that book and so much about the messages that you bring to your stories. Something that I find an underlying factor is there's so much healing 
mentioned in the book, not just in um, your novel, but also in your short works that you've done, there is an underlying idea of healing and also a completion of maybe something that is unresolved. So my question to you, if you feel comfortable sharing, have you personally had to undergo a healing journey? And if so, what was that journey like for you? Well, thank you for saying that because that is a conscious thing that I have done in all of my work. So it's good that it's being received because I feel like healing is something that's very important um, for me, at least when it comes out of my addiction. My my next little great novel, which comes out next fall, so 22, um, is called Eden's Ever Dark. And it's basically a story about a 12-year-old girl who is grieving the sudden death of her mother. And I actually had that experience five years ago. My father suddenly died. He, I saw him on a Wednesday, and he passed away on a, on a Sunday. So I think in these five years, I haven't really been able to totally process that mm-hmm. because there were so many other things that I had to do. I had to take care of my mother. I had to make sure she was okay. I had to make sure that all of, like, the business, because, you know, unfortunately, there's a, the business of death. All That's the things true. That you have Nobody to talks do. about that either. Things ha- and so with the pandemic and having this time to just sit and think about it, I think Eden's Everdark has really helped me heal that because the, the, the point of that book is grieving doesn't have an expiration date. It, it's something that you have to manage. And, and I think that a lot of people, when you lose a loved one, or not even just a loved one, the, the, the grief of loss of a life, that was maybe that you wanted to have because it's not there anymore, the loss of a job, the loss of an opportunity. There's there's lots of different ways to grieve. And so, yeah, I, I think that healing is always going to be a theme in all of my work because I, I think that when something like a death of a parent happens to you, it's not something that is ever going to go away. And I don't think you ever get over it, but, you know, the, the point of it is to I like that a lot and I think that a lot of times we put these stigmas and we put these expectations on what grief is supposed to look like and a lot of times that's coming from individuals who haven't walked in your shoes so I feel like a lot of people could really appreciate that and pull something from it especially during a time where on top of the losses that we've experienced or the normal stresses that we've going we're going through there's also this huge aspect of the pandemic and also issues since we live in the states with nationwide issues such as race such as some of the inequalities and things that we're going through and having to navigate that as people of color who are also just dealing with regular things in tandem with that so i definitely really appreciate that I do have my condolences um for your father as well you're very welcome now I also wanted to ask you you touch on things that are darker and when I say darker I don't mean it in like the typical way like it's evil or bad but things that kind of make us feel feelings essentially How do you, you do this thing where you integrate them into your stories in a way that feels very organic and it's not preachy, 
Um, but it's essentially just telling the story. How do you approach talking about darker topics like grief and loss or race or just individuals individuals whose lives have been basically completely upended because of those things? because I am of the mind that the reader can kind of hear you and the character feels more well-rounded and less hollow when there are aspects of reality within that character. Reverting to something that you said, because you, you're right, kids live those experiences every day. For you, as you were growing up, what was the most humbling experience that you personally ever had? doesn't <laughs> so it was very unusual. We 
and shelter from not not dealing with those microaggressions every day. It's 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 very it's very tough. Um, last year, I actually got a job at a big biotech company on the West Coast, and mm-hmm. I was very excited because you know I got caught up in the prestige of working for a big five tech company. Mm-hmm. And let me just tell you, the grass is not greener. No, it <laughs> is not. I've worked for a big five tech company. <laughs> That's very true, and I feel like there are just things that we continue to see every day that just further affirm that, and I'm really glad that we have voices such as yours in the in the literary space that people can take in and gain things from. I have something more around the, the fun realm, because just something that I noticed. You have this huge love for just magical things not necessarily in the vein of fantasy but in terms of the supernatural or sci-fi and you mentioned that you love the night sky um which is something that i saw and there's so much majesty to the night sky and just space as a whole what essentially drew you to liking the supernatural and to wanting to tell those types of stories <laughs> and actually made me, you know, want to seek out some more of these kind of stories. Um, so it, it, it definitely came from the way I was raised. I was raised always on, you know, these these folk tales, root women and root workers and paints and ghosts as cautionary tales. Like don't don't you know, the, the boo hag's gonna ride you tonight, you need to be careful. Those kind of stories and they stuck with me. And so they're sort of like in my blood. I like that. And I feel like it's very common to share those stories in the South. Like, grandmothers and just, like, family members, they love telling those stories. Especially if you have, like, deep-rooted heritage and you're very connected with that. So it's it's a lot of fun to venture into. And I think that was one of my favorite things about experiencing your work is it was just, it was that slice of nostalgia. If you could say something to your younger self, let's make it more specific. If you could say... If you could say one thing to your 10-year-old self, what would you say to her? First, I would tell her everything's going to be okay, because I was a very anxious child. And so I would tell her everything's going to be okay. Then I will also tell her that all these books that you, you go every Saturday to the library, you check out all these books, and you can never see a black girl in the pages that you read, that one day you're going to be the one that puts black girls on pages. That's what I would tell her. I love that. And in that vein, for individuals, young black girls, 
older black girls, black women who want to write middle grade or young adult fiction, what would you say to them? Because I, I agree with what you said earlier. I feel like it's very discouraging sometimes how hard it is to break into the literary world, specifically writing those types of stories and the resistance that you get and also the favoritism and then people who are very good writers but they just don't get the ability to get seen like other writers who are you know good in their own way but they fall more so into the traditional mainstream or the trendy type of writing you definitely need to just be real and truthful that breaking into traditional traditional publishing is very hard it's 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 because of the nature of the old industry it's very old it's very white dominated and you know since 2014 there's been a lot of um, leeway of trying to get more um, people of color and black writers in into the industry and to be published um, traditionally but i think the first thing in order to stay in this business because this this business is very rough there's always rejection um, it never stops and i think the first thing you would want to do is just to make sure you're in it for the right reasons um i think the love of story is going to going to, going to help you in the long run because if you're doing it to be rich eh, probably find something else there's so many other there's so many other <laughs> i agree Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that. And Karen, I I thoroughly enjoyed talking with you today, and I'm honored that you were able to come on the show. If individuals want to find out more about where to look at your books or where to find out more about yourself and keep in touch, where would they go? Um, they can visit my website. Um, it is karen-strong.com. And I'm also on I will make sure to share those on the podcast episode so that everybody can take a look at them and check out all of your awesome work. Karen, sincerely, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It has been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome, and likewise, and everybody else until next time.
Thank you to all of our listeners out there. As always, you are the most beloved and you make all of this magic possible. If you haven't already, check out Karen Strong's book, Just South of Home, and keep a lookout for Eden's Everdark coming out in the fall of 2022. The Raindrop Corner podcast can be found on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and all standard streaming platforms. Until next time.